Welcome to the Propane Fitness Podcast. Yusuf here, and Johnny is unfortunately wrapped up with clients. So today we have Chris Williamson, the old uh, podcast guest extraordinaire raconteur, as uh, referred to by Joe, and extra special guest, James Bailey. James is a good old friend of mine who I cold approached in the gym about 10 years ago, and I said, I like your press. And he said, thank you. It's actually not a press, it's a push press. And uh, ever, <coughs> ever since... Patronising pedantic <laughs> <prick>. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since he corrected me, we've been breast friends. We've been breast friends. You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain. With none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. Yeah, James, uh, as one of his many accolades, has probably the sexiest voice that I've ever heard. To start things off, I've been itching to ask, James, would you rather be able to time travel, but be seen as a racist by everybody, or be able to (laughs) teleport, but only be perceived as a cannibal? Teleporting, I think. So you prefer to be a cannibal than a racist? Yeah, I think I'd rather eat people than be racist. You don't have to do it. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, How racist are we talking? Yeah, like... I suppose it's as racist as you would be cannibalistic. So what, like if you just licked, like if you just licked people's arms or whatever, then that's, that's like not tremendously three... racist. Yeah, that's true. Like a three out of ten um, cannibal licking people is equivalent to like your granddad who kind of just uses the wrong, it's the just, wrong yeah, term. Yeah, for... yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, just a <laughs> little bit behind the time. Describes people as coloured and oriental. And... Yeah, no, nearly their granddad. I don't think that's even racist. <laughs> So, next question for Chris. Would you rather everybody spits to you, spits when they're talking to you, or you do? How much spit? Yeah, how much? Well, if it was lots, it would change your answer compared to little. A little bit, yeah. Because I think if it was a lot, I'd, I'd just have to... It would have to be me... It would have to be going outwards. I wouldn't be able to take a lot of people spitting on me. But if it was a little bit, <laughs> I'd rather have a little bit of spit than the social indignation of spitting on everyone. <clears throat> just a little bit. Mm, just tolerate it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Life. Fine. So I've got two more. I got a bit carried away when I was searching for would you rather's at the start of this, but I, I couldn't Plastic live with chance. myself. Yeah, yeah, if I didn't ask this one to James, would you rather get ten pounds and keep your current name, mm. or receive a hundred thousand and change your name by deed poll to Doctor Dickhole? I would do that. <laughs> Call me Mister Hole. <laughs> As you can tell, this is a man that takes himself very seriously. Dr. D-Hole. Fuck yeah. yeah. That would be my name. I'm Dr. Hole. Yeah. Yes. Dick Hole. Dr. Dot Hole. Yeah, you could, you could abbreviate it in some way. Dr. D. I'm Dr. D-Hole. Yeah. Final one before we get on to the meat of uh, today's topic. <clears throat> Chris, would you... That was pretty meaty already. It was. Um, Chris, would you rather have ghost poos for the rest of your life or a thousand dollars of cash right now? What's ghost poo? So a ghost poo is defined as when you defecate in the toilet and you look down, there's no evidence. Oh, it's a fat... Johnny referred to it as a phantom poo. Phantom poos for the rest of my life. So there's no evidence that you have actually pooed. Right, well, I'm going to do the typical Chris one of this and flip that on its head. That is a positive because I never need to clean the toilet again. Yeah. I I see it as a positive. I would pay a thousand... I would pay a thousand pounds to never have to clean a toilet again. Or wipe. For the rest of my life. You know, Just, you, it, it, you have to... Surely a phantom poo, you still have to wipe. 
Well, There's no do. evidence in the toilet. So well, you probably would have wiped then. Or do, or, sometimes, or, or, sometimes, or, or, sometimes I check before. Just have a little look, see how I'm getting on. I think it's like as part of it, you you wipe, but there's no. You realize there's no need, or, or there's no evidence even on the wiping, and then you're like, did you I? You wouldn't. Or not? You wouldn't not wipe though, would you? You wouldn't not wipe, even, even if you wipe. thought it was a perfect one. But also, the confusion that you normally get from a phantom poo wouldn't be there because you're getting them every time. So it would be a all out. You would live in a world when you never knew if you had a poo or not, though. Do you feel it coming out? Like, what yeah. is this phantom poo? You think, no you think you think it is. Was the noise? But what about the feeling, the sensation? You, yeah, you, of, get, you like, get that. Well then, uh, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not the, the expert. Well, you, you, you've, your bowel movements, as we've already identified before the podcast, yeah. are incredibly regular. They're pretty. They're pretty regular, and you know, nice. You know, firm. solid. Well, yeah. yeah, but not too firm because too too firm hardly hardly packed. Well, it's you know, definitely not going to be a phantom poo because it needs to be able to bend, doesn't it? Mm. It needs to get around the U bend. Yeah. Um, so what we did before we started recording this podcast is we we tried to restrict the conversation as much as possible. Um, so that so so Chris hasn't met James before, and I thought the best way to unfold on a podcast is to <clears> let it happen organically. So we 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 deliberately withheld any information about James, so that things can uh, so it can be a surprise for us all. So James is somebody who's I I've kind of seen a transformation in in him on on many layers over the years, mm. and. We both started off lifting, and over the years, that's kind of been kind of a blessing and a curse, and it's it's taken us through injury and dysfunction and out the other side. Mm. And yeah. right now, you're working as a massage therapist. Mm-hmm. Was that influenced by? Well, uh, yeah, actually, like the way I even got into massage therapy and this more, uh, well, I wouldn't say the more esoteric side. I was already into the esoteric side of the world. But like the way I got into the therapeutic side of um, the health and fitness industry and movement culture in general was basically through being injured myself. Like I got like shit fucked up, not primarily through lifting, I would say. I think I already had movement, dis- uh, I would had sort of weird compensatory patterns in my body from other things, perhaps other injuries. Um, and then I got injured myself and I was trying to sort of do a lot of my own rehab because I'm very interested in the body. I've been very fascinated for years. Um, I've been doing like performing arts in theatre since I was a kid basically. And like we used to massage in in theatre class sometimes and use it as part of warm-ups or cool-downs and or or just part of the exercise to connect with another person, right? Um, And then one day me and my best friend were in our in our training room and he was trying to show me some weird exercise with a kettlebell because he wanted my shoulders to work properly and we were trying to figure something out. And he couldn't really do it and I couldn't really do it. So we're trying to fuck around with this shit. And, and then he was showing me and I was looking at his shoulder and I was like, this is like, let me manipulate it. And I got my hands on it. I was like, well, this is just really tight. Why don't I just massage it a bit? You know, and I worked on it. Like I had knowledge of anatomy and physiology through being a trainer and doing other shit, but I didn't have any technical knowledge of massage. I just was feeling around like this feels like it's tight okay work into it after like 10 minutes he picked up the kettlebell and suddenly this like internal rotation opened up that he hadn't had before in the shoulder and we both sort of went ah it was like a light bulb moment like ah maybe this is something we could use so I, I we started basically trying stuff on ourselves and then I thought oh okay I'll get into um 
I'll train as this because this might be really useful. And then I just found I inherently enjoyed that process and found that like from the perspective of like injury rehab, but also from the perspective of performance enhancement, like massage therapy, body work and soft tissue work is kind of like a missing piece or was a missing piece, at least for me and a lot of people I've worked with, that has profound effects when it's also combined with whatever movement they're doing. So I just ended up going quite far down this rabbit hole and then working as a massage therapist, effectively. Like The interesting thing about that rabbit hole is that it starts off, <clears throat> and it did start for you as a very physical pursuit, mm. and now it's opened up this world of um, seeing the body not as just uh, the, uh, as the body as a container of your emotion and <clears throat> the kind of accumulation of all of your experiences and that you mm. hold around mm. and in your postures and the way that you express in movement that all uh, that, that all contains the um your kind of psychological signature mm-hmm. yeah i mean the the way I, I like to summarize my view on this is like it, it doesn't matter which worldview you take whether you're very grounded in this kind of western scientific view of like if i can't measure it with an instrument then it, it basically doesn't exist or if you're completely in the world of esoterica and the metaphysical and you're talking about like enchanted fairies and you know some gift from the gods and like the divine connection with earth and the sky actually your body is the vehicle through which you experience the world from both ends of the, this spectrum of whatever of, you label it as yeah. and, and this is what it's I love quite, about it's your quite approach. uniting yeah, it is. It's, so it's like it doesn't like it doesn't matter if you think um, I am a body and that's all there is, or I am a spirit and I inhabit a body. The, your body is is your experience, and it's also the sum total of all your experience in your life. So, um, <coughs> like the way you could see it, it's like you know the the, the sort of psycho emotional body, and it's like, for example, stretching, right? So. Um, for me, like, I'm not very particularly open in the, in the middle splits. Like, this, this range of motion in my hips is uh, kind of closed off to me. And the response I get in the body is not just a response in the body. It's not just, oh, this is tight. It's an emotional response. Like, oh, this is, I get, I get anxious if I go into that position. Like, it's, it's, there's fear behind that. And you see that with a lot of different... Um, like in my practice, for example, in, in massage therapy, like it's, it's common to have someone release emotion on the table, like cry or feel angry or something like that when I'm working on a part of their body. And it's like the way you can look at a conceptual framework to look at that is, you know, you have an emotional attachment to trauma psychologically and physically. Like these two things are interlinked. Like the traditional way of viewing medicine and the body and healing is not is not to make some differentiation between psychological physical and emotional illness that's that's just the way that we yeah this is just the way that because we are quite limited in the way that we think we have to divide it just for the sake of labeling and categorizing for Mm. our own purposes to study it but really there's no in the reality of the body there is no separation there is no point where mind ends and body begins no and it's interesting that you that you said that that um yeah I've, I've also had clients cry on the massage table mm. um i've only recently qualified so i've not i've not had a huge number of clients but it's it the fact that it's happened already is shows that it is quite rife and we mm-hmm. had an article recently 
from a client who did the 10-day Vipassana retreat, which is the mindfulness silent retreat. Um, that was a great doing, article, Great article, yeah. yeah. Check it out if you haven't read it, preppingfitness.com forward slash Vipassana, two S's. So he said that by day seven, this was lots of meditation every day in silence, 4 a.m. until 9 p.m., so pretty <clears> intensive. He said that by day seven, he had a really acute and clear experience of the emotions stored in his body as memories and they were coming up and he mm. saw them very clearly and you know if if you're very skeptical you would say maybe this is some kind of hallucination that you experience when you've, you've cut out all stimulus for a long time but there is also that this is a very replicable experience and mm. that everybody who goes through this process has the same thing and they come out later having released um, emotional blockages that no longer affect their function in their daily life <clears throat> and the fact that you can access this through playing with the body itself as well as internal work. And you mentioned yesterday that you see treating a client with massage as a collaboration, that yes. they have to do the work as well. Can yes. you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, okay. So I'm just trying to think of how best to articulate that specific thing. But I view massage and stretching in some way in this in a very similar sense where you're basically... So what I'm doing with massage, I'm applying pressure to the body and the body is then relaxing to it. Now, if I apply too much pressure too quickly, you will, the, the client or whoever I'm working on, they will tense up subconsciously. And that's not productive for anybody, right? And you've probably experienced this if you've been, like, you've been to the Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Like you've been to Thailand? Mm-hmm. Okay, right, so you've had Thai massage and you know what they, they can be like. So it's like you get this elbow and you're like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, or even if you're not like, oh, fuck, you actually tense up. And then you kick them out. Yeah, and then it's like, boom, boom. So if you do that, if you're constantly doing that, you, I don't think you're really getting anywhere. So what I actually literally say to my clients as well is like, this is, this is a collaboration. Like you concentrate on your breath and then what I do is I try and find the places in their body that's like, uh, I would say the soft tissue just feels different. Like it's tight or it's got adhesions or you can use any of these descriptions from any different bodywork technique. And then what I'm trying to do is trying to see like, how can I get in there? And so it's like, I have to create an environment th- for that person to feel safe enough so that they can relax. So and it, that's not just physical. That goes mm-hmm. to like, what's, you know, what's the vibe I'm giving off? What's the vibe that this person is giving off? You know, it's like, you know, like you mentioned this as well. So you can like lingering on a particular area because you feel like it's, it needs more attention. Um, and it, maybe it comes across as creepy. Well, it's only going to come across as creepy if that is your intention. But whereas if it's like my intention is like, okay, fuck, I, I see that this area has like a lot of tension in it. It's like, okay, then I work more, I work into it more. And, con- um, like it's a bit of paradoxical but the softer the softer and the more gently you go into the body the deeper you can get it's the frog in boiling water isn't it where you <clears throat> put the frog in boiling water straight away it jumps out but mm. if you put it in cold water and gradually heat it up it doesn't jump out and uh james is incredible at what he does like i've <coughs> never never experienced um someone as perceptive a um a body worker is this and it is because he just takes his time um perceiving and feeling what is going on in the body and mm. finds that entry point gently without without just trying to like mash the fibers and, <laughs> and absolutely uh, ram you so mm. 
<laughs> I mean, there is a time and place for that, but it's usually for me. I find the softer the the softer work that really gets one the client into a relaxed state. Because there's another thing: is if you're not relax, if you're not really internally relaxed, like if there's a lot of anxiety coming up and you're just sort of lying there and you're stiffening up, then I I, I can't really do anything. But that's so, contagious as well, and this is why you mm. were saying that it's important for the therapist to do the work themselves as yeah. well, because they have to <clears throat> clear themselves out so that they don't project any of their troubles or their anxieties onto the client and end up sort of cock-blocking themselves by mm. um, not... Cock-blocking is a bad word to use in this situation, but... Yes, um, <laughs> maybe it's, it's, it's adds some connotations which the, yeah. massa- the, the massage industry <laughs> tries very hard to stay away from. Um, you know, like... I mean, you know, it's, it's intimate, but we don't really tend to go that intimate. Yeah. Like, I don't do uh, yoni or lingam massage personally. <laughs> Um, but yeah, or see, at least not on not on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So no, the point stands that you, you have to get yourself out of the way. Yeah, sure. To be able to channel, um, mm. I want to say the channel healing. Yeah, yes, but it, it is. But even in in that context, I mean, if you want to if you want to go into esoteric terms of like channeling and healing, you're not channeling and healing is is it's like just being present and allowing that person to experience the thing they're experiencing. And that, and just being able to do that is is quite powerful because through through that person then going through that experience in an environment they feel safe in, then they can perhaps um, release some of this uh, kind of whatever strong emotion is associated with it. So they can like let go of it. Now, in the context we're talking about, which is primarily massage therapy or body work, that might mean that you can access a new range of motion in your shoulder or your hip or whatever. That wasn't there, to, wasn't there for you before, or it might mean that you've released some kind of injury that you're holding on to, like you're subconsciously holding on to a, p- a point of your body because it's like ah, I've been hurt there, mm-hmm. and it, it's kind of like teaching your body that in a collaborative fashion that it's okay to go there, it's okay to do this, you know, like soft tissue damage takes what between six and twelve weeks to heal in general. You know, he says talking to an actual doctor, um, right? It, but it does. So, like, if you've had a contact injury, you've torn something, or you've uh, like severe bruising, whatever, the the actual soft tissue damage will be gone after three months, like in the vast majority of cases. In the, maybe in the most severe forms, and if you're older, perhaps. When I say older, I mean like you know, like retirement age. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean like oh you're forty so you 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 know you're fucking your your hormone levels are down you don't recover as quickly it's like yeah you do but it's not that same spectrum of things it's like it's still like an average person where's I going with that the the soft tissue takes yeah. some time to heal but so it's it takes the some time to heal so it's like but it's kind of this subconscious layer and so it's like you could say it's the body's subconscious perhaps like if you want to put a conceptual framework around it. And that you also maybe don't have access to. It's just like your body just doesn't go there. So like in passive manipulation where someone's trying to relax as much as possible and you move a limb, for example, I can see where it doesn't subconsciously doesn't want to go because I'll feel a certain resistance. Like this is what I was doing with you yesterday. So I just relax your arm as much as possible, right? Now there's, Yusef has just about 90 degrees of external rotation in his shoulder. Just. And I, think any, I think that's about twenty degrees more than me. So. Could <laughs> could be could, maybe 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 not. It's it's <laughs> like you. He's got like just about enough range of motion to do the things he does. Do the same with my arm. 
So there, there is no tone in James's arm as I'm doing this. And his external rotation is quite a lot. Yeah, and then you see you start to feel resistance there. Yeah. Right? So there is a resistance... So that, that was well past 90 degrees there. Yeah, it was about 110 or so. Um, so the, re- the resistance there that I'm feeling when his, he reaches end range of motion is not some structural bony limitation in the body. It's the body going like, I, I don't quite want to go there because if in a completely relaxed state, you'll see this in like a lot of like high level athletes and dancers and people who move really, 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 really well. Like they have this fluidity or smoothness or, or speed to their movement, like really explosive. That's not going to work if you have this soft tissue that won't relax. While we're on that note, just so the, the, the listener can get a, a feel for, for, for James, Chris, can you feel James's lat and just tell me, <laughs> tell me what... Feel his lat. And just around the shoulder. James, he's very, a very, very supple. Very soft. It's like, um, what's that, that meat, veal, that, where they like... Yeah, yeah. They tenderise it and... Yeah, incredibly smooth. Yeah, but okay, now do it, do it again on my lap. But also incredibly firm when you tense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that, that is the way that like healthy soft tissue should feel. Mm-hmm. Not grainy. Not yeah, like grainy and like weird and like, okay. Like, yeah, any like, part of my body. No, not any part, part of my body. Well, it, it, it's better than him. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of cable feeling. Yeah, did a lot of press-ups this week. Actually. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you got this kind of like, str- like I can feel these kind of like fiber, this very fibrous quality in the I tricep. Know. And it's, it's like, okay, how can, how can I put this? Like, you know that cornflower, you said this, this is a good analogy, this cornflower thing, like these silly putty and these putties that if you move them softly and gently, you know, you can sort of mold them as much as you like. And then if you like try and move it, it fast, them. it bounce them, they yeah. actually firm up, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, that's maybe an analogy of the way it's kind of like your fascia behaves. Mm-hmm. And when you look, when, when you sort of go through the, or at least that's what some of the research indicates, like, I don't really know. Like, and if anyone tries to suggest that they really know what's going on, they're lying. <laughs> but it's a good way of thinking about it because like your fascial system runs through from your skin down to your bones, through everything, right? And so between the, the tightness and the uh, adhesions you get on your muscles and the fascial system, like if you can sort of like take someone's soft tissue and just like work through it, like putty, you can bet that that person is probably going to move pretty well. Like they're not going to have much restrictions in their body. They might have some one specific. And I, I think it kind of enhances the performances if you can be in that relaxed state, because like, for example, when you look at the mechanics of sprinting, um, the ability to relax and contract quickly and with um, a, a lot of force is paramount to being a good sprinter. Like you see it in their faces. Like when you see a sprinter, like a, a shot of a sprinter running, their face is relaxed. Like blah 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 blah, mouth going everywhere, you know. So what's the downside of being overly tight? The downside of being overly tight. Okay, so you have this amount, this amount of range of motion, right? And your body doesn't quite want to go in this position. So I got to try and find a way to get in this position, right? Now this pulls your shoulder into a slightly more internally rotated and like sort of hooked over position. This classic hunched. I've, d- I've just done a shitload of press-ups and bicep curls, like... Me head, invisible lat syndrome. Yeah, right, invisible lat syndrome, walking around like you're doing your fucking Dorian Yates doing a lat spread, and it's just like, if you actually had, like, decent posture, you would just stand upright and you would be wide. You can't fake being wide and big. It just looks stupid and everybody realises it. Um, but the downside to it is, aside from the jokes you might make, is you're putting more mechanical stress 
on structures. And so it's like wear and tear. Yeah, it's wear and tear because you're basically operating inefficiently. So the, th- the image that you used the other day was, let's say your shoulder, your humerus always sits forward at the, the anterior border of the, the capsule. Then mm. when you're <clears> pressing, for example, you're always going to be rubbing up against that. Yeah. And so the wear and tear is greater than if it were the joint was tracking correctly and you had the range and you're not and in my case for example i've got terrible shoulder flexion so um, yeah it's really bad if anyone's tried the, the the wall wrist slide thing where you stand with your back to a wall touch your wrist to the wall as well and try and slide your hands overhead and if you can do that all the way up <coughs> without arching your back or your hands coming off the wall then that's quite good uh mine is is not <laughs> not very good and so yeah you know you end up developing compensatory movement patterns like the most common one would be an overhead press and arching your back to try and, and turning it into almost like a standing bench press. Well, definitely yeah. for me, when <clears throat> stepping into the world of CrossFit, going from bro lifting meant that I was held to a much higher standard of movement mm. than I previously had been, and that was in new movements as well that I wasn't uh, I wasn't familiar mm. with. So uh, an overhead squat, which is still for me my torture movement, mm. to put a barbell overhead and go down into a full squat requires the same level of posterior chain strengthening and tensioning for me as trying to deadlift like 200 kilos like i need yeah i need to be so tight in my midline yeah to be able to get myself to go down and i come back up and i'll be sweat like 10 reps and i'll be sweating yeah. from a barbell overhead yeah, yeah because, because it's, it's a huge amount of effort to keep yourself in that position under a load right but if you if you were more relaxed and particular structures were more open, it wouldn't be effort at absolutely. all. You just drop into it. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's girls, a lot of girls and guys <clears throat> step into the gym all the time and they'll be given an overhead squat routine mm. and they'll absolutely wipe the floor with me. Someone mm. who's done CrossFit fairly heavily for six months but trained for 10 years. Yeah. And you think, well, how, is, how, is, how is Julie, mother of three from Long Benton, like able to overhead squat with this PVC pipe in perfect form? Oh, it's because she hasn't created all of these inhibitions in a movement. And, and mm. I think the compensatory uh, patterns and stuff like that is a really, really big deal. Yeah. So because of drilling certain movements, I now catch jerks overhead with a posterior pelvic tilt. So I tilt mm-hmm. my hips under sure. so that I can pull my arms forward more. Yeah. But I don't need to. But because it happens in other movements, mm. a snatch, for instance, yeah. it started to drill that response Mm. that I now compensate in different ways Mm. so one problem has actually turned into two problems Mm. has turned into so I think that not Mm. not taking care of your movement and not making being aware of the limitations of your body and where you are struggling Mm. is a a really really big deal yeah and you make an a good point there because it's like this one movement that you have a compensatory pattern in it's like, yeah, it's so related to, I don't know, whatever, like a dozen other movements you might be doing. Because movement patterns, like fundamental forms of movement, when you're looking at it in a CrossFit or a, a lifting perspective, are really, really, really limited. Mm-hmm. There's probably like a dozen, mm-hmm. maybe more. I mean, I could sit and go through the most fundamental A lot of them ones, are like global like, flexion to global extension. Yeah, exactly. Some stuff Picking like that. something up off the ground to standing up with it. Yeah. You it's know. the same as a row, it's the same as a squat, it's the same as a deadlift, it's mm. the same as a snatch pull, it's the same as a, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's something, you know, where you're, where you're doing a lot of the same type of movements and you have the same kind of compensatory pattern, you're actually making it worse. You're drilling, drilling a bad habit. Yeah. 
for sure. And this, and here's one <coughs> the other, the other, but the other side to that is it's it's perfectly okay to be able to do that pattern, but it's not efficient. And so training a pattern that is more efficient is not only going to be better for your longevity, like your joints will undergo less uh, stress. Um, so there's just going to be less mechanical stress going through them. Uh, you'll actually be more efficient and raise the ceiling of your own performance. Because this is the other kind of way I, I look at it um, conceptually is that if you have these restrictions or limitations or compensatory patterns, your body doesn't like to get damaged, mm -hmm. right? So it's going to prevent you doing it as much as it can. So it might actually even put the brakes on. Like I found it in myself where there was a certain, like when I was doing Olympic weightlifting a lot, I would quite easily get up to a certain range in squat strength and pulling strength. And it would take a huge amount of effort to make incremental progress, much, mm. much beyond that, which was never much. I mean, like the only, most I ever fucking squatted was probably like 160 for reps. But at some point <clears throat> I started working on my hips and, and I, I what well, first I had patellofemoral uh, pain shit and I started working on my hips and I hadn't squatted for like nine months or something like that because I'd, I'd had this issue and then I'd, ha I'd fractured my clavicle at the AC joint falling off my bike. Um, and it was a compound fracture, so I had fragments in the AC joint, which was really good fun. So I had an MRI and they're like, yeah, you know, well, you could try physiotherapy, but it's not really going to do jack shit, so we'll just operate. So I did that and I didn't basically lift for nine months. And then I started lifting again and with better hip function, better improved range of motion, Within six weeks, I'd reached my previous weights, and within another six weeks, I'd surpassed them, and much more easily. Mm -hmm. It was way, way easier on my body. And I just kind of thought at that point, I was like, wow, okay, so there's something in this. It's not just, it's not just that, oh yeah, I'm going to get more flexible. It's like, no, actually, maybe it's that I'm, I'm going to actually improve the way I work, the way I do, do it physically. Well, well posi positionally, I think a lot of the time, we know what we're supposed to do. I know the posi I yeah, know the I know the, the the positions that I need to hit mm. in a snatch or an overhead squat or a cleaning jerk, mm. um, but I my body doesn't want to do that. No. Let's not forget as well that Johnny pulled has been fighting to break three hundred kilos outside of competition for a long time, mm -hmm. and then pulled three hundred five and three ten mm. in the same session down in London only probably three or four months ago. And attributes almost all of that to the cycling, uh, the strength cycling that he's on at the moment with Bournemouth Barbell and yoga. Because he can get his hips further underneath the bar, which allows him to get more drive. Mm -hmm. But before, because the um, amount of um, flexion he was able to get in his back wasn't sufficient for him yeah. to be able to get his hips under and still hold on to the bar. It's yeah. an interesting point that even if you just about have that range to get into the position, if it is your end range... You're not going to be able to pull a maximal Absolutely lift not. from Absolutely there. So, so you need a bit more wiggle. You need some buffer, maybe 10, 20% on either side of, of your lifting start positions, for example. Talking to... about talking about efficiency and movement and stuff as well, you're absolutely correct that you can you can get the weight up. Mm. But again, you know, advocating something for CrossFit that when you have to do that 20 times over as part of a bunch of rounds as quickly as possible you very soon realize this is taking a lot out of my tank mm -hmm. to be able to perform this particular movement. Yeah. So for me, 
one of the open workouts this year, anyone that did the, the CrossFit Open at the start of the year, open workout 17.3 was squat snatches uh, and chest of our pull-ups, mm-hmm. uh, an ascending ladder. And for me to do 30 or 40 squat snatches in a 10-minute or an 8-minute workout involved every single lift almost being max effort at 40 kilos because that was how difficult it was. I just because of the, so if you'd have power snatched that it would have been eighty kilos piece piece absolute piece of piece, <laughs> yeah, piece, right. piece. Yeah. I, and I, I, the final rep of the uh, I got up to the next level of the ladder got there power snatched it overhead but forgot that I had to go down I was like that's a no rep and that was when the timer ended but <clears throat> having fought literally tooth and nail sweating more than anyone else on the entire heat that I was in but not working anywhere near as hard in terms of cardiovascular output or in mm. terms of reps or in terms of weights. But I was working at the absolute zenith of my range of motion. Yeah. And looking at Chris, there's clearly a lot of latent capacity when you see the Absolutely. numbers that he's lifting compared relative to the amount of muscle that he has. <clears throat> like, so there is... What are you lifting? You know? Back squat is about 160. Power clean, 110. Power snatch, 80. But again, there's no reason that my squat clean is less than my power clean. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> like what? You're also like ninety kilos shredded at like five eleven. <laughs> so that so, so there is there's definitely like you have the muscle to lift way more mm. in any of those lifts. But it's it'll be. <coughs> there's guys in it. There's a, a, a whole bunch of guys <coughs> in the gym. It's, it's interesting that you don't have weight categories in CrossFit because it means that you are constantly being compared to everyone else's ability to be as efficient as possible with the body that they're given or the body that they choose to have. So if you use, if you decide to go on a heavy bulking streak, I added 10 kilos. From the start of the year, I was 80, and now I'm 90. I added 10 kilos on, but <laughs> I don't, honestly, I, I, I wish I could stop advocating CrossFit, but yeah. <laughs> I added 10 kilos on, and my, my fitness pal just looks like a vertical line, like the, the weight tracker. But my gymnastics movements went up, and my lifts went up, mm. and my endurance went up, mm. and my mobility went up. And I was like, well, for as long as this is the case... I can continue to gain weight because what I'm doing at the moment is working. Mm. And I think that using performance as a parameter Mm. or as a a guide for what you're doing with your diet and what you're doing with your training, Mm. brilliant. Do do yoga five times a week. Hang on, maybe I've moved, I'm trying to move my joints a little bit too fast, too far. Mm. And now some of the uh, required tension activation to be able to pick up a heavy weight That's now been lost a little bit because I've, I'm pushing my range of motion too much. Joint capsules and maybe feeling a little bit ropey or whatever. I, I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like yeah, on, on yeah. any side of the scale, mm-hmm. whether it's diet eating more or less, mm-hmm. mobility doing more or less, endurance doing more or less. If you use your performance mm-hmm. and, and I suppose your uh, mental state, how mm-hmm. you feel, because it's, it's pointless like being able to lift more, but hating every second yeah unless you're willing to make that sacrifice for a particular as, as, reason yeah you, you know you, it's, it's really down to an, an individual like why are you doing the things you're doing yeah i mean that's what that's the question i would ask yeah. you know like if you want to be doing that it's like if you're doing something that's so damaging to your body that you're fucked yeah. physically or so damaging to your psychological health yeah. that it's 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 harmful you you really have to seriously yeah, this could be this could be, doing this could be you self-actualizing this could be the pinnacle of your life this could be yeah. what you've been working towards i'm sure that there's a lot of periods that uh olympians have not enjoyed mm. in their training despite it's the sport that they love and mm. their profession yeah 
I'm sure that there's a lot of periods where they are not really enjoying what they're having to go through. Mm. But that is a sacrifice that they're prepared to make because as far as they're concerned, that's their calling in life. And oh, I, sure. you know what is what there's a, a fairly high ideal that you're working to. Yeah. Uh, going back to the massage stuff, I thought it was really interesting what you said about it being a two-way um, mm. relationship because I think a lot of people, myself included, I've had a normal number of massages, mm. quite a few in Thailand and a, a few sports therapy sessions, probably <clears> a fairly good cross-section of, mm. of uh, other people that go to the gym have had a similar amount. And I have almost always considered massage to be a one-way street. Fix mm. me, please. What? Like, you turn up, you're like, fix me. Oh, yeah. I'm going to lie here. just passive. Yeah, it's, it's, there's varying degrees of discomfort, mm. but the only response from me is how much moaning and groaning I make. <laughs> like, and it is a, a purely passive experience mm. from the massagee to the masseuse. Yeah. Um, it's, I, it, it might be a little bit of a semantic issue because, like, I, it's the, I see the same way. Like, if you talk about passive and active stretching, you're not really passive if you're trying to relax. Like that you, have to, you have to force relaxing in a way. Well, it's like, this is what, like, okay, so what is it? It's like, you're focusing your attention on some particular thing. That, that is an active role. Like, there is, there's nothing inherently passive about either of those things. So, like, for me, the thing is, if you are, as a client on my table, or, or the floor, or however I'm working, focusing on things that will help you relax. So, I, I mean, it gives people stuff to do. You know, focus on your breathing. Breathe deeply into your hips, like not just into the belly, but like really think about actually breathing into your balls, like your perineum, basically. Mm -hmm. It's very a yogic thing uh, if you're a guy or if you're a girl. Not perhaps because you don't have balls, I hope. Mm -hmm. It's not relaxed. Mm -hmm. It's just you're trying to focus your breathing to go all the way through your body and then let it out. It's a concept. It's an idea to work with because the re relaxation is both like mental, emotional and physical. Yawning, sighing, drooling. Mm. I have to thank my friend Aaron for these, like the holy trinity of relaxation. Because if you do those things, like you yawn or you sigh or you create the sensation of drooling in your mouth, those are all relaxing things. Those mm. are all things you do when you are relaxed and induce relaxation. So doing that as the client, that's your role. Your role is to relax as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Your role is to relax as much as possible while being in d uncomfortable but that, that situations or positions. Relaxing as much as possible doesn't mean not being active. Yeah. It means being present. It means being present and focusing your attention. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, 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 <coughs> really, a really interesting uh, distinction that I think a lot of people, myself included, mm. have, you know, I've been for quite a lot of massages and I've never... Yeah. I've done um, assisted stretching before. Yes. And in that, you know, you, it's obvious that you are a part of your... Uh, it's a dance and there's two mm. of you, so to speak. But I think that certainly with massage, I've, I've always considered it to be mm. just one direction. Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of people do. And I, I just don't because it, it doesn't make sense to me. Because it's like, crazy. You're pay, paying money for someone's time and taking time mm. from your day as well mm. to try and maximize the benefit, presumably. I'm, I'm sure that there's probably a, a time and a place for people to be completely passive and you know they they're going somewhere for a spa day it's not for performance mm. and they just want to be able to be alone with the thoughts but whilst you know being touched by another person. yeah essentially yeah. but i think that would i think everyone knows that that's not the kind of mass massage that we're talking it about. depends on the therapist as well because mm. if the therapist is just working mechanically it's kind of surgically working working on you then that's different to if as as robin ramage said when we we interviewed him a few weeks back again check that out if you haven't heard it fantastic it's in two parts 
talks about breathing with the client and mm. being able to sync with them. Before we go too off into the uh, the esoteric side, I guess like we can sort of put a, a bookend to, so far we've been discussing the how addressing the deficiencies in your movement or your tissue quality can delimit your um, your performance mm. and reduce your risk of injury. Yeah. But what I'm really interested in is that, because you obviously have a history of being an Olympic lifter, mm. And so you've been very physically focused and obviously this is how you kind of got into the soft tissue work. Mm -hmm. What's then taken the transition from that into the more esoteric stuff? To me, it's a natural progression because like, I guess I was... When I met you, you were were a very sceptical, scientifically minded person. In a way, yeah. In a way. Although I've always been interested in the esoteric world uh, in some senses of the word, like... I mean, when I was a, I mean, to go back with a little bit, a little bit of background, like when I was a kid, um, I used to read a lot of science fiction, like a lot of science fiction, especially like 50s, 60s, 70s, this kind of like Philip K. Dick, Robert Heinlein, Zelazny, all these kind of things, which are very, very esoteric, uh, fantasy stuff, um, history. It's to me seemed a natural progression. I mean, like I've I've been like I said I've been doing performing arts since I was a kid, and a lot of the theatre I was doing was very physical. Um, I found dance frustrating when I was younger, but then got much more into it um, in my twenties, and uh, now do it a lot of dance in different forms. What what got me interested in it was like basically like I wanted to do stuff with my body, and I, it, to me it's like an experiment. You know, to me that's what. You can say that's what it's like the the. I mean, I, I like I, this is why I, one of the reasons like I like Dave Wardman's physical alchemy. It's like the idea of physical alchemy. It's like yeah, it's what it is. Like the body is an experiment. Try and see what you can do with it. What are the things I want to do with it? And I had to ask myself those questions, and those answers have changed over the years. Like initially, I got into lifting and Olympic weightlifting because I was like, yeah, I want to be like jacked and strong, and it's cool and it's better than being some bro lifter and because it's like got some real application. Um, and after a while of, well, partly getting beat, beaten up by having shitty movement quality and lifting a lot of weights, um, I had to refocus myself in a way that was also had some longevity to it because I saw the way I was training as not being able to last very long. I would just break after a while. I think it's so, <clears throat> so interesting what you've touched upon there. And we've said this for ages. I've still haven't managed to fully crystallize my thoughts on it, but I'm absolutely <clears throat> adamant that a lot of young guys and girls who spend their time in the gym, especially if you start in your teens or early 20s... Mm-hmm. Which I did, yeah. You reach mid to late 20s mm. and you go through the fitness equivalent of the menopause. Mm. That <laughs> there is just this huge global change that occurs in your body where you realise all of the things that you used to value no longer really matter so much no more. Mm. And I think that this is a rise of functional training, more functional styles of training, CrossFit and uh, martial arts and uh, you know yoga and mm. all of the sort of things that are becoming a lot more widely accepted and not quite so niche. I think that that is just a back, uh, uh, the next stage of the Ziz movement that occurred sort of six, seven years ago maybe a little bit before that when you had like bodybuilding.com forums were lighting up and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the same guys that are like, right, okay, well, what's my next challenge? Mm-hmm. 
And I think that mm. people find a more, they want a more, not holistic, but they want a more, mm. um, yeah, a more, a more holistic approach to being able to achieve the level of fitness that they want. Mm. They appreciate that longevity is a deal. As you get older, you appreciate that you need to look after your body. Mm. Very much agree with this. It's the next evolutionary step in that process. And I think when people start lifting, there is a deeper push for for personal growth but it gets channeled into i want to i want a bigger body or i want to i want to be stronger or whatever do you know what else jack's it is and time, do you know what jack and tan it is shout out to uh super training um do you know what else it is that i realized today if you treat <clears throat> the gym as a business the barriers to entry to the market of typical fitness and bodybuilding training are so low how how it takes Five minutes to master a, bi- a supinated bicep curl. You can do that movement, having been taught it and watched it and then refined a couple of times. How long is it going to take you to do al batido or to uh, do a bar muscle-up? Or do you know what I mean? Some really complicated mechanical movements. It's the barriers to entry to are much higher. Uh, so it yeah, means you, you just fall into it. Like it's, it, And people make fun of powerlifters as being the kind of dweeby kids at school that couldn't do any sports and so they just got fat and, and started lifting and... And but in a way, it's kind of what they are because the, there's a low level of skill required to get into the first step of it. But the deeper you go into that or any other pursuit, you realise that actually this is this is a spiritual pursuit, or this is a Absolutely. this is more than um, what you're doing. And then and then you start to realise, as you said, that the menopause kicks in. You're like, hmm, this is only really fulfilling me on the superficial level because it's not it's not getting at the the kind of um, growth on all dimensions. Absolutely not. But there again, the, another side to that might actually be the case that if you spent like 10 years doing this, like we all have, um, then you've actually done a lot of those things. You you've achieved to do it. Yeah, well. man. You so know, once, there you, is once, that you've been, once you've been 6%, like body fat, you, unless you're one of the, the very, very admirable people who's able to maintain it, once you've been 6%, you realize that life at 6% is not all that much better than 10%. Or twelve percent. That fucking sucks, man. But you can maintain life <laughs> well, the, at ten or twelve percent. The admirable and people that maintain six percent have very likely got an eating disorder and are just coasting on that for for several years. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, or, it's, or good genetics. Or great genetics. Fantastic yeah. genetics. Or a really good, a really good makeup. But, but you know if, if you're restricting the, yourself for that, that's long, majority yeah. of people. If you have to try and maintain a, a like abs vascularity level of leanness, it is. A constant daily battle to be able to do that mm. and I think that what you realize is that leanness Johnny wrote an article why I stopped caring about leanness <clears throat> and you know I think that that echoes my thoughts on that sort of stuff but you do you still want to be able to achieve it but you want to be able to achieve it like you want it to be your way you want it to manifest your, manifest itself out of what you're doing and I think the best quote that we've come up with so far is that your body should be a byproduct of your training, not the purpose of it. And I think that mm. if you're able to elicit a fantastic physique from pursuing a physical goal that you really genuinely enjoy, mm. then you have got the best of both worlds, and you'll be mm-hmm. fulfilled internally, and you'll also have mm. the desire f- that we all that we mm. all do still have for looking good. Yeah, for sure. Because like anyone who says they didn't get into lifting or training or fit, health and fitness because they wanted to look better naked is fucking lying. Yeah. 